0: Let me ask you, have you ever, at any point in your life, have you ever felt just really, really compelled to do something? You were just convinced that the Lord was directing your steps in such a way that you knew that this was the path that you needed to take. I mean... I'm not talking about, you know, just simple day-to-day decisions. I'm talking about something really big, something like a career change or changing your major at school or, you know, uh, uh, whether to marry somebody, you know, all those different major uh, forks in the road in our lives. That's the kind of decision that I'm talking about. And in those decisions, when you felt really, really compelled to head in a certain direction, You've prayed about it, and you've prayed about it, and you feel just deep down in your spirit that this is what you're supposed to be doing. You've sought the Spirit's guidance. You've sought the Spirit's clarity. And on top of that, you've, with your close brothers and sisters, whether it's folks in the church or or whatever, you've, you've asked them to pray for you and You know that they're praying for you because they're faithful, and they've been praying and seeking the Spirit's guidance, seeking the Spirit's direction for your lives. And then all of a sudden you come together and you finally decide to tell them how you feel that the Lord is leading you to go. And then they come back at you with, you know they've been praying, and they come back at you with, well, that's not what the Lord's been telling me that you need to do you ever been in one of those situations in your life where you are convinced that you're supposed to go one certain direction, and then all of your faithful Christian brothers and sisters are telling you, I don't think that's the way you're supposed to go. you ever been in one of those situations? I've been in a couple of those in my life. You know, it would be different if the people around you were, were unbelievers, or if they weren't faithful believers, if there were folks that, you know, might tell you that they're praying for you, but you really have doubts that they might be. It'd be different if it was somebody like that that was telling you something different than the way that you were feeling led. No, these are good, godly folks who love Jesus and who love you. And it's obvious that they're hearing something different than you're hearing. So in those situations, in those circumstances, who's right? Who Who's wrong? Is somebody confused? Did somebody get their spiritual wires crossed and they're hearing something different? Are they getting a wrong impression from God or are you getting a wrong impression from God? Unfortunately, those situations, they don't happen too often in our personal lives. But I see them happen a lot in church life. We haven't seen it a lot since I've been here in Parkview, but we will. It's a fairly common thing in church life. You have one group of people who is firmly convinced that the church needs to go in this direction, and you have one group of people who's firmly convinced that the church needs to go in this direction. Well, does that mean that this group is not as spiritual as this group, or... Vice versa? Well, sometimes, but not necessarily. You can have good godly people who are convinced that we're supposed to go in one direction and good godly people who are firmly convinced that the Spirit is leading the church to go in a different direction. Both sides say they prayed about it. Godly folks are on one side. Godly folks are on the other side. So what do you do when that happens? Steel cage death match at the next business meeting, right? I've seen it happen all too often. I mean, we laugh about it, but we laugh about it because there's an ounce of truth in it. Well, of course that's not what's supposed to happen. Of course that's not. Now, I thank God that we we haven't seen anything remotely close to that here. And I pray to God that we never will. Amen? Amen. I just I don't expect that we ever will. But what are you supposed to do when you feel clearly led by the Holy Spirit to go in a direction that is opposed by others who feel clearly led to go in the opposite direction? What, what are we supposed to do? Let's look back over our passage that Ben read to us earlier. Now we're not going to go verse by verse through this, uh, through all of this passage, but there are some things, cause, cause really most of it is, lays out pretty plain. It's pretty much like a travelogue, but there are some things in here that just really jump off the page to you if you're paying attention. After Paul had finished, I don't know if you remember back to Acts 20. It's been several weeks since we're in Acts 20, but Paul had left the 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 meeting with the co-past with his co-pastors at Ephesus. There in Acts chapter 20, and in his meeting with them, he discussed some things with them. But one of the things that he pointed out to them was how the Spirit was leading him to go. The Spirit was leading him away from Ephesus, was leading him away from all of the missionary journeys that he'd been taking, and the Lord was leading him in a specific direction. And this is what he said in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, just back a page from where we are. He said to these co-pastors, he said, "...and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem." And how he described it, he said, "...constrained by the Spirit." He was not just being led. He didn't just have a little tweak in his gut about where to go. He was constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So he wasn't going to have a rosy ride. The Spirit, in constraining him to go, let him know what was awaiting him. He said, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul was constrained by the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Even though it was going to be difficult, even though it was going to be a hardship and all of these things awaiting him, he was constrained by the Holy Spirit. He was convinced that that was what he was supposed to do. So when Paul was convinced that he was supposed to go, and that, that was what he was supposed to do, when he told all the brothers and sisters around him, they celebrated that and they sent him off with joy, right? <laughs> Not hardly. Not hardly. You look at what happened here. After a few stops along the way, they he, he went on and headed on the, the route to Jerusalem. There were a few stops along the way on the way to Jerusalem, and the first stop that it mentions in the text, really, you know, it lists all these different whistle stops, but the first stop of any significance that it mentions along the way is a place called Tyre. And in this place called Tyre, there was obviously a a small church there. There was a gathering of different believers there. I'm sure they were worshiping together and fellowshipping together, and Paul hung out with them. Paul and the folks that he was with, Luke and whoever else, they hung out with him and worshiped for... A week, the text says. But notice what vo- verse four says. Verse four says, through this, now these brothers and sisters in Christ at the church at Tyre who loved Paul and loved Jesus. It says, through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now wait a minute. The Holy Spirit was telling Paul that he needed to go to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit was telling the friends of Paul that he wasn't supposed to go to Jerusalem. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, let's see what happened next. Let's just move on down through the, down through the text, down through the story. Next, Paul and Luke, they left this place called Tyre. They got back on another boat and they headed on to Jerusalem. And on the way to Jerusalem, actually before they got in the boat before they left Tyre, right there on the coast, the church that had received a different understanding from the Holy Spirit about what Paul was supposed to do. As Paul was doing what he was supposed to do, they met him on the beach. It says that they loved on him, and they prayed for him. And then they sent him on his way, and he he went against their wishes, They still loved him. They still prayed for him. Then from Tyre, they made a couple of stops along the way and finally got to a town called Caesarea. In Caesarea, they met up with a man called, a man named Philip and hung out in his house for a while. Now, for those of you who have been with us for a good while, it's been a while, but we, you probably remember that we talked about this man, Philip, before. Philip had been a a deacon with with Stephen, and when Stephen was persecuted and killed, then philip was he he went on his way, and he actually became a missionary to Samaria, and he preached to great crowds in Samaria, saw all kinds of people saved and Then God snatched him up out of there and sent him to witness to one person, an Ethiopian man out in the middle of the desert, and then from there. You remember back when we studied that, from there, God sent him from the Ethiopian eunuch to all these different, to minister in all these different little podunk towns along the coast until he finally settled down in a place called Caesarea. When he settled down in Caesarea, he really went into ministry obscurity. We don't know anything about what happened to him from there until now. And what we see had happened in that meantime is he had uh, apparently gotten a sizable house and had four daughters, four godly daughters, raised a good family, and there he was. All these years later, now Paul and Luke were staying in his house. And the text says that they stayed there many days. So they stayed there for a good while. And what an amazing time that must have been. Can you imagine Paul and Philip trading all these stories about how God had worked in their ministries and in their lives and all of that? And as they were in the middle of what I imagine, them telling all these different stories and all of that, they hear a knock at the door. Standing at the door was a man named Agabus. Well, Agabus had been around before. Paul had known Agabus before many years before. But now here's Agabus, this preacher from Jerusalem, standing in front of their door. And Agabus has a message for Paul, a message that was given to him by God, a message that was given to him by the Holy Spirit of God. And Agabus made it clear to Paul what was going to happen to him when he got to Jerusalem. He did it in a graphic illustration way. He took off his belt and he bound his hands, and he did all those kind of things, but he made it clear what was going to happen to Paul, what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. And when he gave that Spirit-given message to Paul, all of Paul's friends there in that church, including Luke, his traveling companion, all of them said, Paul, you don't need to go. But look at what Paul said in verses 13 and 14. Then Paul answered, "'What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased, said, "'Let the will of the Lord be done.'" Paul was absolutely convinced that the Spirit was telling him to go to Jerusalem. He was absolutely convinced that he was doing what God had told him to do. He was absolutely convinced that he was going where he was supposed to go. But his fellow believers were absolutely convinced that the Spirit was telling them not to let Paul go. Paul wouldn't be persuaded, so they kept fighting, right? They kept arguing and debating about it, right? Not what the text says, does it? They got mad. Everybody went their own way. They had a church split, right? (laughs) Not what the text says. Verse 13 says that they ceased trying to persuade him. They accepted his decision. They might not have agreed with it, but they accepted his decision. They trusted that God was in control of the whole situation and that his will was going to be done. So they trusted God, and they let Paul do what he was convinced he needed to do. So with the church at Tyre's blessing, and with the blessing of the believers in Caesarea, Paul and Luke headed to Jerusalem. Now, we can look at this passage several different ways, and if you pull up a dozen different commentators, you'll come up with different camps of understanding about this text. What I would say mostly are misunderstandings about this text. There's one camp that will look at this text and they will say that the people was right and that Paul was mistaken about his impressions from the Holy Spirit. And they'll justify that by saying, well, Paul was in prison when he went to Jerusalem and he faced difficulty. Well, God promised him that from the beginning. So there's the camp that says that the people were right and that Paul was wrong. There's another camp that says that Paul was right and the people were wrong. That They were mistaken, that they weren't really hearing from the Spirit, that when it's translated with Spirit as a capital S in our Bibles, it should be with a small s because it was their Spirit and not the Holy Spirit. That's not what the text says, is it? So there are those two camps. But neither one of those camps align with what the plain reading of Scripture says. And if anything, I hope that we have learned as a church that we need to go by what the plain reading of Scripture is. And the plain reading of Scripture is that the Holy Spirit was telling Paul to do one thing, and the Holy Spirit was telling the fellow believers to do something different. (laughs) So we got to... Dilemma, don't we? Does the Holy Spirit ever tell one faithful believer or one group of faithful believers to head in one direction and another group of faithful believers to head in the opposite direction? Apparently so. Apparently so. Put it in terms that we can relate to, does God ever move one person or one group in the church in one direction and at the same time move other people in the church in the opposite direction? Or to even get it more personal, could God lead you on a path that nobody else wants you to take? I think we see by this text that the answer is Yes. Not just by this text, but by the reading of many other texts. We can see that the answer to that is confusing, but it's yes. The question is why? If the answer to that is yes, then our next question is why in the world would God do that? Does that sow confusion amongst the brethren which God says that He hates? Well, it could if we allow it. It's us allowing it that God hates. So why would God do that to us? Does God take joy in confusing us? Of course He doesn't. Of course God doesn't take joy in that. God does that to grow us. He does it to remind us that our dependence is always on Him. But most of all, He, he does it to, to teach us. And those times when God's leading you in a direction that's contrary to the direction He's leading others, He's doing it to teach you at least four things. That's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about, these four things, these four lessons that God wants to teach us in these kinds of situations. First, He's teaching you to follow Him and not your heart. That's different from anything else you'll hear um, in the world around us, isn't it? So you need to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is just as much God as God the Father is and God the Son is. He's not an emotion. He's not an emotion that we gin up with good music or good preaching. No, He's a person. And the person of the Holy Spirit is not always going to lead you down the easiest path. He told Paul as much, didn't He? He told him what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. Of all the paths that Paul could have taken, Jerusalem was probably, at that time, was probably the most difficult because Jerusalem led to Rome and Rome led to more imprisonment. But that was where the Holy Spirit of God was leading. And that's not uncommon. The Holy Spirit... When, when we say that God directs our paths, that doesn't mean that He's directing our paths to the easiest and most smoothest, most smoothest. How's that for grammar, huh? <laughs> he's not leading us always on the, the easiest or the smoothest path. No, He's straightening our paths to the direction He wants us to take. That's what He was doing for Paul. Many times the path that God wants you to take or God wants our church to take is the most difficult one. Many many times it's the hardest one to explain or to justify. Many times it's the one you don't have the preparation or the training to do or the resources. Most of the time it's the one that is farthest outside of your comfort zone. Lord loves to stretch us, doesn't He? You know, Disney princesses, they're the ones that'll tell you to follow your heart. Don't get mad at me for hating on Disney princesses, okay? But they're the ones that tell you to follow your heart. The Bible and the Spirit of, the, the Bible tells you to follow the Spirit of God no matter what your heart says. Because the Bible tells us that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Wait a minute, not my heart. Yeah, your heart. All of our hearts. We follow the Word, we follow Scripture, we follow the Spirit of God. Make sure that you're listening to God and not your heart. So the first lesson that he wants to teach us is to compare what we're hearing, what we're feeling, what we're sensing. Compare that with the Word of God, with the plain text of Scripture to make sure that we're not just following our desires or our preferences. Make sure that we're following God not our heart. Second, God's teaching you to trust the godly leadership that He's given you. In Tyre, the believers made sure and said their piece. They said what they thought that the Lord was directing them to say. But in the end, they let Paul go, didn't they? In Caesarea, Luke and Philip and Agabus and all the others, they said their peace. In the end, they let Paul go. At the same time, both groups of believers recognized that Paul was called out as an apostle. See, they, they stated what they believed that the Lord was telling them to say. But at the same time, they remembered that Paul was in this office that God had given him, this office of leadership. That God had given him. Now, did that make Paul perfect? Of course not. We've seen as we've studied Paul that he messed up quite a bit. Paul even referred to himself as the chief of sinners, so he knew he wasn't perfect. But God has made it clear that there are times that we must trust the authority that he's blessed us with, whether that's Paul as an apostle whether that's the offices that he blesses the church with now. Are there times when that trust is broken? (laughs) Sadly, yes. I think everybody in here can think of instances where that trust has been broken. It's broken when it's clear that the leader is not being led by the Holy Spirit. And it becomes clear that the leader is not being led by the Holy Spirit when he's not leading according to this. And it's clear that he's not leading according to the Holy Spirit when his lifestyle contradicts his teaching. See what I'm saying? So when a leader is teaching this faithfully, living by this faithfully, and that's a God-appointed office that's worthy of listening to and following. But when that's broken, then it's not. When it's not broken, say your piece, make your case, and as long as the God-appointed leadership is truly godly, then trust is leading, even when it's, diff- when it's different. Third, God is teaching you to disagree without being disagreeable. That's another thing that's completely foreign to our society today, isn't it? Everybody wants to state their case louder and harsher and in harsher terms on social media or wherever. No, the lesson that's being taught when there's a disagreement between what you feel the Spirit's leading you and what the Spirit, what others feel the Spirit is leading them to do, the third lesson is that we can disagree without being disagreeable. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard because when, you know, I, I got enough of that McDowell County blood running in me that when I'm right, I'm right, even if I am wrong. <laughs> right? And we've all got some of that, some of that stiff necked. Some call it redneck. <laughs> we just call it stiff necked, stubbornness. And when we think we're right, and somebody else is clearly wrong. Then surely they didn't, ah, they th- say they heard from the Spirit of God. They say they're following God's leadership, but they can't be because they don't agree with me. See, these people, they knew they were right. The Holy Spirit had clearly impressed on them that they were right. So how did they handle it? They pitched a fit and they stomped their fist and insisted on being right. Right? No. They disagreed clearly, but they did it in a loving way. That means we always need to listen more than we talk. You've heard the old thing about, you know, the reason we got two ears and one mouth is because we're supposed to listen more than we talk. Well, that's really true. We need to listen to the ideas of those who oppose us and listen to why they oppose us, and listen to any wisdom in why they oppose us. We need to hear the why before we make our case. Paul, he patiently... Now, he already said he was constrained to go, but he patiently listened to the brothers and sisters entire, did didn't he? he? He patiently listened to Agabus while he was... Doing his stunts and he's, you know, the grabbed his belt, all that kind of stuff. He patiently listened to him. He didn't hold up his hand and say, I don't care what you're going to say, I'm not going to listen to you. He listened to him. He patiently listened to Luke. Luke was his beloved traveling companion, his personal doctor. He patiently listened to all the other brothers and sisters in Caesarea before he humbly, humbly responded to them. Before he said, Why are you breaking my heart this way? We need to remember that when we have disagreements about the direction that we're supposed to go. We need to listen and listen carefully and not already have our mind made up as to why we're right and the other one's not right. You can say have an open mind, but that's been so abused in our culture. Sometimes I think that people want us to have an open mind so much that our brain falls out of our head. But we do need to listen. We can get so wrapped up in making our case that we become incapable of looking at things from the other person's perspective. That's what we need to do. Folks, we need to leave all of that assigning false motives and mischaracterizations of other people's arguments. We need to leave all that stuff to the politicians because we're made of better stuff than that. Jesus lives in us. So we're made of better stuff than that. We don't need to falsely assign motives or mischaracterize another person's arguments. As believers, we're going to have times that we disagree, but when we disagree, we must disagree without being disagreeable. Fourth, and I think most importantly, when we disagree over the direction that God wants us to go, the Holy Spirit wants to teach us most of all to trust in God's sovereignty. Who's the one that's in control of all of this? We're a small group. You can participate. Who's the one that's in control of all of this? God is, right? And if God is in control, then we're not. There's all kinds of freedom in that, isn't there? Not freedom to be disobedient, but freedom in that if we... Feel impressed that the Holy Spirit is leading us to go in another, in this direction, and somebody is impressed that the Holy Spirit is leading them in that direction, and they're in a position where we should say, well, okay, we're, we're gonna go with where you're going. Even though I don't think that's right, we're gonna go in that direction. We can trust that God's in control, no matter what happens. Times of disagreement among believers, it's, it's inevitable. But just because we're a family doesn't mean that we're always going to be heading in the same direction. Sometimes you might feel strongly about something you think needs to be handled differently. You might feel strongly about a direction that you need to go or a ministry that we need to do. You might feel strongly opposed to another direction that we are going or are going to go. You prayed about it and you think you've got this clear impression from the Holy Spirit. I heard about a church that almost, well, it did split just very recently over service times. Everybody in the church had voted and the, you know, the pastor had led, the church had voted to move the service times by 30 minutes. And one lady said, God told me that we're not supposed to do that. So because she used the trump card of God told me, there was a small group of people who banded around her and split the church right down the middle. That's not the way we're supposed to behave, is it? You, you might feel that you have this clear impression from the Holy Spirit. So what do you do? You make sure you're listening to God through His Word, not through your heart. If your disagreement is about a matter of style or personal preference, then you're probably not listening, you're probably listening to your heart and not to God's word. And as long as your God-appointed leadership is obeying the clear teaching of scripture, pray for them and trust them. It's always okay to disagree, but disagree agreeably. Don't ever assign bad motives to people that you disagree with or mischaracterize their position. But after you've done all those things and the die is cast, the decision is made, movement is being made, and you're still opposed to it, and what do you do? You take your toys and go home? Now here's what, here's what happens a lot of times. A lot of times folks will just sit back and say, and wait for it to blow up. You ever seen that? And then as soon as, as soon as things don't go exactly the way they're supposed to, yep, yeah, told you, told you it wasn't going to work, wasn't going to work anyway. Is that what you're supposed to do? <laughs> now when that happens, whether it works or whether it doesn't work, the lesson that God wants to teach us is that He is completely in control. Whether it works or whether it doesn't work. We can trust that God is directing our paths even when those paths take a turn that we might not like. Now notice what happened here. After listening to everybody, Paul was still convinced that he was taking the right path. At that point, the rest of the people quit talking about it. They quit trying to persuade him. Regardless of whether they were right or whether Paul was right, they quit talking about it. They trusted Paul. But more than that, they trusted the outcome to God. Because it's bigger than Paul, isn't it? It's about trusting God. And here's the beautiful thing. Once the decision was made, they went forward in unity. The folks that disagreed, they weren't hived off in the corner waiting for it to implode. And they went forward in unity, even the folks in Tyre, when they were initially opposed, but they still went to the beach and they prayed with Paul and they loved on him before he left. They gave him that support. Even though Luke was initially opposed, he went with Paul to Jerusalem. Even though the church at Caesarea was opposed to Paul going, they sent some of their own to go with him to Jerusalem. They trusted that God's will would be accomplished. They trusted that God would direct them on whatever obedient, biblical path they took to be on mission for Him. They believed what Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6 says. One of my favorite passages, you hear me quote it all the time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. They believed that. They believed what that says. So let me ask you, have you trusted God with all your heart? In other words, are you saved? Before God will make your paths straight, before He will make His will, His desire clear to you, before His Spirit will guide you, you have to have a relationship with Him. That's what happens when you trust Jesus as your Lord and Master and Savior. That means that you understand that He willingly took your place on the cruel cross at Calvary. It means that you understand that He victoriously rose again to give you life, new life in Him. And because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus did for you, that means that you can be reconciled to the God that you have offended. And when you're reconciled to the God that created you that you have offended, that means that you can have... A relationship with Him. And when you have that relationship with Him, then His Spirit will guide you. Then you can say that you trust the Lord with all your heart, that you're not leaning on your own understanding because you're leaning on Him. You can acknowledge Him in everything, even the bad things, even the good things. You can acknowledge Him even when the decision goes your way, even when the decision doesn't go your way. You can acknowledge Him in all your ways. And when that happens, He's promised, He's promised that He'll direct your path. So before we can get to the point where we can move forward as a church despite any disagreement that might ever take place in the future, and I pray that that disagreement would never happen. But I'm realistic to, realist, I'm enough of a realist to understand that it will. But before we can ever move forward as a church despite any disagreement that we might have in the future, each of you need to make sure that you're saved. So that's the only question before us this morning, is are you saved? Have you trusted the Lord with all your heart? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for how practical Your Word is. And Lord, we we thank You that Your Spirit, um, even though Your ways many times are a mystery, Father, we thank You that You give us clarity in Your Word and in Your teaching. Father, I would ask that if there's anyone here who's never trusted You as Lord and Master and Savior, Father, that today would be the day of their salvation. And Father, as You bring us together, as You grow us as a baptized body of believers, who've trusted You, who are leaning on You, who are not trusting our own ways, but who are relying on You. Lord, I'd ask that You would lead us. Father, that You would direct our steps. Father, that You would keep division far from us. Father, that You would continue to fill us with Your joy. In Jesus' name, Amen.